Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, Carol Zernio on special assignment today, and we are delighted to welcome our regular pinch hitter, Peaches Hall. Peaches is the director of the WellMed Doris Griffin Center over at Ingram. She also in her other life, uh, was very involved in memory units, working with folks with dementia, including Alzheimer's. And so she has a, a depth of experience. And as you think about this, Peaches, as we get ready to talk in just a moment uh, to Marianne Drummond, uh, you spent a lot of time working in the world of folks with memory loss. I did. Um, it was probably the most valuable experience that I have in, in my tool chest. I think it was uh, just amazing for me just when you think you know everything and then you find out your dad has Alzheimer's you're paralyzed what attracted you to that field I, I don't know um, it just felt good I, I enjoyed it I didn't uh, worry about you know my work hours or it just was comfortable well, Marianne Drummond joins us now. We're delighted to have her on board. She has over 30 years of nursing experience, spent the last 13 years of her career as an executive working in the assisted living industry, and has responsibilities for Alzheimer's programming design and implementation for multiple special care programs. So she is, like you, has a lot of experience working with folks with dementia. Marianne Drummond, thanks for coming on Caregiver SOS On Air. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Peach is, what attracted you to the field of working with folks who have memory loss? I think for me it was a natural segue uh, from other things I had uh, done in my career. Um, started out as a nurse and um, began to get a little more specialized in areas where um, uh, the brain and neurocognitive components of care uh, became a specialty. actually ran a rehab hospital for a while. Um, and then I entered into the assisted living arena, um, and combining those two and beginning to work with individuals with Alzheimer's disease and related dementia is such a very special population, and beginning to see um, how that dovetailed with the neurocognitive component of how we approach care, um, it was a beautiful thing for me and eye-opening. And, uh, you know, you, when you enter into this field, I don't think any of us aren't touched in some way. Certainly I had family members at that time not personally close. They were um, more in the aunt and uncle range of life where um, there had been some personal relationship to dementia. Um, but watching what can be done, the possibilities when we take the word DIS off of disability and begin to focus on the ability and seeing doing the right things at the right time, the outcomes that could be achieved and challenging ourselves it really excited the nurse in me. So I think that's how it, how it came to be for me. It just became more of a specialty. And the greatest teachers of all in any of these things are always the persons experiencing it firsthand. And, you know, it wasn't that it was just always doing the right thing first. Sometimes it was learning this doesn't work and, and learning more what does work. In your career, you certainly have spent a lot of time around caregivers. And while it's tough to be a caregiver for almost any any illness, 
for those who have dementia, is caregiving an even bigger challenge? You know, I believe it is. Um, I, I heard someone once say, anytime someone is diagnosed um, with a dementia, such as Alzheimer's, it's almost as though two people are diagnosed. And I think that's because it's, take Alzheimer's, for example, we don't always think of it in these terms. Um, we know it's a chronic illness. We know it's a, a neurodegenerative illness that will bring a lot of physical debilitation, but it's also a terminal illness. And many of these dementias are. They are progressive. And at the side of that person is a very close, often emotional uh, relationship, a husband, a wife, um, a son, a daughter, a person that often becomes a personal caregiver. And I think what makes it a little unique is that with many of these other types of chronic, sometimes terminal illnesses, there's so many outward signs. You know, there's outward signs of what's happening physically for the individual. With these types, Alzheimer's and other related dementias, the outward signs don't always show until the very latter stages. The symptoms of this disease that we're discussing is often how we respond to our environment, how we respond to our close loved ones, and we don't always recognize it as a symptom. Instead, um, we even call it this word that I don't necessarily like in the industry, we call it behaviors. So for example, um, a husband might become more irritable with the wife and he might even stop recognizing the wife as his wife, or it might get to be that it's more difficult to help him with his daily chores of living, getting him dressed, getting him bathed, and yet the love is still so there for the wife, and she sees him now as so difficult. So, yes, I think it's a very different caregiving journey. Now, hold that thought. We'll come right back to you. Just to remind folks who may have just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron. Peaches Hall is filling in today for Carol Zerniel, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Marianne Drummond, CEO of Angel Tree Publishing and an author. And I think back to when uh, my dad and, and mom were both alive. My dad developed a dementia uh, and in their 50-plus years of marriage, uh, before the diagnosis of dementia, I never once ever heard crosswords exchanged between them. And then over time, my dad became very irritable, very difficult to deal with, and that too passed. But uh, it was strange to see that, uh, which wasn't really my dad. It was the disease. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. You know, your experience in assisted living is so important for everybody to hear because a lot of times people are worried about placing or don't understand the placing. I always say make sure you have a true diagnosis because the thing I, I noticed in your bio is that you believe in aging in place. And I think that's yeah. so important because of the stimulation that a move, you know, puts upon this person. So I, I talked about, uh, and I would love for you to address, the mistakes that are made in assisted livings or in care homes or in dementia? Um, what, you know, what do the, the loved ones look for? So, you know, it's, it's a challenge, and there is going to often come a time um, when home is no longer appropriate, and I do advocate for staying home as long as possible. Um, and we, 
we tend to want to sometimes stay home longer than we should. Um, mm-hmm. One of the main causes of caregiver stress and burnout is we believe that um, we should be able to do everything all the time, forever and ever. Amen, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and we can't. And do it without help from anybody else. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I said that originally in my journeys, uh, I didn't have anyone closely related, and now I wear the hat not only as educator, but I'm an Alzheimer's daughter. And so much has changed for me, and I'm learning even ever more with my journey with my mother. And so saying that, um, I now have my mom, um, very personally I will share, I just had to place her in a rehab for short-term rehab um, because she's fallen and had a rather serious fracture with surgery. And um, it's interesting you ask that question, Peaches, what mistakes do we make and what do we not do so well sometimes? And... Um, you know, I, at once, uh, before I retired and started my own consulting business, one of the things I would tell families all the time is, we are not perfect. There's no perfect care community. We will make mistakes, but we try hard not to make the same mistake twice. Um, and families will come in, and it's, it's naturally so, because we've been giving one-on-one care at home, and we've been doing it with everything within our body, so much to the extent we've wore ourselves out oftentimes neglecting our own health, which is something caregivers are famous for. And we want at least that level of care. Um, We want at least to see that our loved ones are cared for as well as, if not better than we did. And it's going to be different care. And what we have to measure by and look at is, first of all, is our loved one thriving? And there's going to be a transition phase. Initially, there's going to be um, some phase of, um, this is a new environment. If I have dementia, I am not going to just readily be excited over my new environment. But what's going to usually happen in a good care community is after the transition phase, this person is going to adjust. They're going to start participating in their environment. And they're going to thrive. Um, the common mistakes we make in care homes is most homes that are marketing themselves and putting out that they are a memory care facility don't make these mistakes. Let me just say that. But the common mistakes I see are that people may not truly understand how to communicate with or address with or have the patience with a person who has dementia. And how do you see that? How do you see that play out? Well, let me just give an example. And I've seen this recently with my own mom in going through, again, just recently, the acute care system and getting her into a rehab. When an individual has dementia, um, they need patience from all of us. They need patience to get their words out. It takes longer. We have word-finding issues. Um, they need um, us to communicate with them in uh, more simple, uh, specific sentences. You know, to come in and say, um, you know, what would you like to do today? That's a wide open question. And I may not even be able to respond to you because what synapses I have left in my broken neurons are so overwhelmed, I might just give you a blank stare. Versus if you gave me a very simple question such as, would you like a sip of water? That's so specific. I followed you, and I can even maybe nod my head, and now I'm going to drink water. And if you find that you do a good bio on them before they move in, pick the brains of the family members so that you're not saying, come in, let's, you know, let's uh, clean up your tool chest, but instead let's look at your sewing kit or let's do something that relates to you. So the bio to me was always important, training, retraining, and then monitoring. My grandmother used to say people don't respect what you don't inspect. 
Oh, yes, ma'am. And if I could say, for any listener out there that is in any way involved in a healthcare setting, be it acute care, long-term care, or any healthcare setting, if there's one commonality on the mistake level that we all need to work on, it's really doing the due diligence upon um, that admission process of collecting the information and knowing who has some form of dementia and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned many times, we don't wear it on the outside it's not always an externally evident disease process. Mm -hmm. And the person themselves, um, they're not the best historian. And when you're doing that admission intake and you're asking about what illnesses exist, we're not always likely to say, by the way, I have a touch about Alzheimer's, or yes, I do have dementia. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And the reality is is distorted. I've had them carry around another member, another resident's, family pictures and they are just you know they're devastated because they that's their family they're thinking you know oh, so you and can't, to them it is. absolutely yeah. you just join that journey all right stay with right. us stay with us a minute we will come right back to you this is wellmed uh, well wellmed's caregiver sos on air on 9 30 a.m the answer i'm ron aaron along with peaches hall we are talking on our caregiver sos on air hotline with marianne drummond we will continue this conversation in just a minute wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to well, I'm at radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. And the nice part about that, WellMed Radio comes right before Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answers. So we got you covered for two hours on Sunday evenings, 5 to 6 and 6 to 7 p.m. And we hope uh, you listen and share the information with others. Podcasts of all of our shows are available as well. And you can download those, you can email those, and you can share the information in that fashion as well. Just Google WellMed Radio or Google Caregiver SOS on air and... uh, Mr. Google knows where to find them, and they will pop right up for you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Peaches Hall, who is filling in for Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment today. And we are talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Marianne Drummond, CEO of Angel Tree Publishing, an author as well, and a nurse. And we're getting a, a perspective on dealing with dementia, both from a caregiver standpoint and a professional standpoint. And Marianne, you mentioned that your mother... Uh, had been in rehab. I'm assuming it was just your run-of-the-mill rehab, not specializing in folks with dementia. How did they deal with her, and how did that work out? Well, she's still there presently, and so we're still working through some of the weeds of that. And some of the caregivers um, certainly have um, 
been trained, I think, and are doing a good job. And we're finding some opportunities for improvement in some of the others. And I think to the point of what we were just mentioning, I, I, and I, and again, it's not this particular care home. I think it's just care homes in general. What I find is that unless we've had specialized training, unless people have taken the time to do the due diligence to really understand what I call a meet me where I am care philosophy. We tend to just lack that patience. Uh, we tend to uh, not really understand. And I'm going to give you an even better example. This is classic. I think I'm going to use it at the next um, caregiver symposium I present at that has professionals present because it was just a classic example. When mom was in the hospital and um, she was requiring some of her pain medication, and a lot of times it's the rules and regulations, right, Peaches, yes. that tend to um, uh, can get in the way uh, sometimes. Um, but uh, a very good nurse, she comes in and she's following the rules and regulations and she knows mom has dementia because we've already chatted about it. And um, she comes in and she says, okay, I want your name, your date of birth, and your pain scale, 0, 1 to 10. All right, <laughs> now, you have dementia. <laughs> and I've just said we have to use simple, uh, specific uh, lines okay. of communication, allow time for answers. And mom's in severe pain. She's just had a prosthetic repair of her femur and a knee replacement. And mom just stares at her, you know, and mm. there's no answer. Now, were and, you in the room uh, at the time? Were you oh, there? Sure. When mom goes in the hospital, what do we do as caregivers? We yeah. check in, too. Exactly. Um, as the advocate and making sure, you know, everything happens. It's supposed to happen. The wheels don't fall off the bus. So um, I, 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 I uh, had already said to her, I said, you know, it works best if you give her simple commands one at a time and let her respond. And um, so... Um, you know, I, I had another opportunity to give more education, and um, sure enough, true to form, with a different approach, one question at a time, mom was able to give this nurse everything that this nurse needed to follow her rules and regulation and for mom's pain needs to be met. And, and sadly, this is a perfect example. And how long did it take for the nurse's black eye to heal? <laughs> Um, let's just say there were quite a few conversations before we got there. <laughs> Sadly, so many people that are in uh, nursing homes or in hospitals suffer horrible pain because they can't express that one to ten. They, I mean, oh, yes. it's terrible. They are under medicated and they do experience huge pain. It, you're, you're right, Peaches. It's one of the um, one of the uh, conference presentations I'm currently doing um, down in the city of South Carolina. It's called the Dementia Friendly Care Community, and one of the things I really focus on is unrecognized pain. And you know, it, it's there's just so much we have yet to learn from those who teach us. Again, the, our, our friends, our loved ones, and many people who are currently living with dementias. And I'm so happy to hear the many voices that we hear now of the early diagnosed and the people that are still in early stages that are out there teaching and speaking and helping us to better understand yeah. but there's much to learn now one of the things uh, I saw that uh, you provided to us are the 10 absolutes of Alzheimer's care uh, published yeah. by uh, Angel Tree uh, which is your umbrella organization and I want to go through these and, and Picha who's had a tremendous amount of experience in this field as well. Uh, let's talk about why each one is here and why they're important. Uh, and I don't know if they're ranked in order of importance, but number one is never argue, instead agree, which means... Yeah. Now, in these 10 absolutes, they've been around for a while, author unknown, but I use these where I go and teach because they're sort of like what I call rocket science on paper. 
And um, when we argue with an individual who has dementia, the first thing we do, when we argue if we don't have dementia, what happens? We're automatically on what? The defensive. And um, not that the person with dementia is always right, but arguing is always going to be wrong. So there's so many reasons for us to um, want to argue. There's so many things that happen in the course of care. It's time to take medication. It's time to eat. It's time for a bath. And the person with dementia is often going to say, nope, been there, done that, don't need it. Mm-hmm. And as caregivers, we get frustrated and immediately want to use logic. We want to argue. We want to prove our point. Mm-hmm. That's not going to help when what the base of that response of refusal or um, denial or saying I've already done it is a broken neuron in the brain. Because- you know, we don't expect a broken bone that has a cast on it to move. No, right? and conventional things don't work anymore. Uh, I remember in the morning to get them in a shower. That's where I served coffee. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. See, it, meeting served, them where they are. You served coffee in the shower. Yeah. That's oh, I a, love it. Yeah, they were. It's I was beautiful. like, come on, let's go get coffee. And they were like, ooh. And I, and I have a sweet roll, too. And it was in the bathroom. <laughs> there you go. So they were so, fine. Yeah. If you agree with someone, though, even if you're needing to convince them of something else or lead them somewhere else, automatically you gain trust. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to enter the reality, to enter their place, their space, and their thought process so you can gain trust. Mm-hmm. Now, I know and, one, of the, uh, one of the issues that often comes up uh, with someone who has d- dementia or Alzheimer's uh, is not wanting to bathe, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a challenge, right, Peaches? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. So I always made sure that I used a shampoo, body wash, cream rinse, everything all in one, start from the top to the bottom, we got it done, and brush their teeth at the same time. Yeah. It, yeah. You get it all done at once. Now, number two on your list is never reason. Instead, Marianne Drummond, divert. Yeah, so we can sometimes be in not the best reality. And so, number one, we're saying agree. And then we say never reason, try to divert. So, here's a great example um, we can be accused of something not very pleasant. Um, I love going into special care memory areas because I almost get this warm hug and someone thinks I'm their daughter, their special friend come to visit. It's easy to agree with that. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. One time I went in and this lady's approaching me and I thought I was about to get my hug and instead she starts shaking her finger at me and says, you huzzy, I know who you are. You've been sleeping with my husband. <laughs> now, you can't disagree with that, right? Um, nor can you start trying to defend yourself or argue or do these other things because most likely that's only going to create more bad feelings. Mm -hmm. So in this situation, you want to, first of all, remove yourself because you're the negative stimulus and get someone else to divert them from this negative thought. Maybe this happened in their life. Maybe they're going back into a time because that long-term memory stays very alive. And let's divert them to a more pleasant place. Mm-hmm. I call it R&R. The best way to get rest and relaxation as a caregiver is to know how to redirect and reminisce. So what did you so say to her? What, we're talking about. what I said to her personally at that moment was with eye language, I'm getting out of your space and I removed myself. I, there was nothing I personally could say to her and argue with her. Everything within me wanted to tell her, no, it wasn't me. I would never do that. I could never hurt you. But I was in a situation where there were other people present, so I removed myself and sent immediately to her aid a caregiver that knew these 10 absolutes, that knew how to get her to a better place. I waited 15 minutes and reapproached her to see if I would again be a negative stimulus. They had done such a good job of redirecting her, getting her involved in another activity. 
And my wife by here and said, hello, how are you? She looked up at me and smiled and said, I'm great. How are you? Yeah. Don't you think that a lot of times the number one rule of arguing and not agreeing and, um, comes when families are not good at um, the diversion yet? They haven't learned to do that. They're embarrassed oh. about mom and dad being a certain way or acting a certain way, so they don't come up with that reason. Instead, they say, oh, you remember or you know or yes, you did have that appointment with the doctor. Instead, yeah. Of, you know, yeah. So it's, it, yeah. I always tell them, think about what it is, those three or four things that they come at you with and have your, your plan ready. Have your plan ready so that you can work with them on it. Yes, it teaches, I have to confess, it is harder when you wear the daughter hat. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I trans, as I have transferred over, it's much easier as the professional caregiver to practice these things mm-hmm. than it is as a daughter hat. And I am not a perfect daughter caregiver. As daughters, as, as very close, intimate family members, we are in roles we've always been in our whole life, mm-hmm. and those dynamics stay in place. Oh, yeah. And it hurts. It does. Yeah. Next on the list, number three, sh- never shame, instead distract. And, you know, this is when I see happen to the earlier question, what are some mistakes I see in care homes? Not on purpose, but I do see care homes making this mistake sometimes, um, especially those uneducated frontline caregivers. I've seen them say things to the, the residents or the patients. Now, you know you know how to do this, or you mm. should have not done that. Don't you know better than this? Mm. Well, that's shame. Mm. Um, it certainly, certainly can get more advanced than that by personal caregivers. I was out in a restaurant one time, and I heard a son with his mother, who obviously had Alzheimer's. I, I've gotten where I could just recognize it in public, and he was just going at her for all the things she had done wrong that day and how she shouldn't do this and shouldn't do that. But that's what we're talking about. All right, now stick with us a minute. We're going to come right back to you. And uh, Peaches also has an example talking about never shame, instead distract. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host today, Peaches Hall, pinch hitting for Carol Zernio. Marianne Drummond is on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline. And we'll talk more about the 10 absolutes, although Peaches hates that word, absolutes, of Alzheimer's. But I'm going to agree. Well, we are so pleased you are with us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host today, Peaches Hall, who is pinch hitting for Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment. Our very special guest on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline is author and publisher Marianne Drummond, and we're talking about dealing with not only the families and the caregivers of folks with Alzheimer's, but dealing with the individual who may be struggling with Alzheimer's. And we had just talked about never shame, instead distract. And Peaches, you had an example. I, um, I did have a, um, a resident that had urinated on herself and was completely embarrassed. And her daughter was embarrassed too. And they were in a conversation together. And so when I entered the room, you know, it was already starting to escalate. And I said, oh my gosh, Mrs. Smith, did somebody drop iced tea all over you again? And she was... Yes, they did. And so we got her in the bathroom, but we just had to change it so she had a way out, you know, gracefully and didn't, didn't, I mean, she was embarrassed. She didn't even know she had done it. Beautiful. Oh, that's a great, great way to handle that. And did the daughter understand what you were doing? Yes, and she came to me and she said, you know, sometimes I just get in that escalation. I don't stop. I, I don't know what to say. She says something and then I say something and then it just gets to that point again. 
Number four, never lecture. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Instead, reassure. So, Marianne, what do we mean by that? Well, I think that's similar. Um, I think sometimes people believe that if I tell them enough, they'll get it right the next time. So we're trying to explain something, and we're hoping they're going to get it. And we're sitting there, and we're really just wasting our breath because that short-term memory is gone. And it can cause great frustration because they're trying so hard to follow us. We're trying so hard to get it, and um, they're not. They're not staying in step with these long, lengthy conversations and these long, lengthy instructions. So it's best just to reassure everything's okay and um, that we're, we're there for them and that they're okay. Number six, <laughs> you hear this one a lot. Never say, I told you. Instead, repeat. Yeah, and um, it, actually, I jumped ahead of one, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We'll get that next. Um, and, and this is this is again. Uh, I see this a lot with spouses, and it may be because they were already saying it before the dementia. <laughs> and I think they do sometimes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, spouses, the spousal relationships. I told you, um, and uh, we just should not say that mm-hmm. because it just, especially when we're still aware we're having memory issues, it just makes us feel even worse. Yeah. Is my doctor's appointment today? I told you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or you get them to the where they're in an argument with, I have it at 3 o'clock. Yes, it's at 3. Is it at 3? Yes, it's at 3. Is it at 3? Yes, it's at 3. I already told you. <laughs> yes, and then they say, but I never told you to make it at 3. Why'd you do that? And then the other person's thrown off because it's a new argument yeah. and they weren't ready for it. You know? <laughs> Which brings us to never say remember. Instead, say reminisce. Yes, and this is a beautiful one that's come out in recent times, and it really makes a difference. Reminiscence therapy, we all know, is such a valuable tool in our tool chest when it comes to memory care, and how we present it can really make a difference for the individual as to whether it's successful or not. We like to go uh, down memory lane um, with anyone on any given day. We can be with a wonderful best friend at lunch and say, do you remember when, next thing you know, we're walking hands in the Mm -hmm. past and having a good time. It needs to be just a little bit different when we're with our uh, friends and loved ones who have memory issues. And instead of saying, do you remember when, we start the conversation either with, I remember when you did such and such and this happened. Or we can even just say, you um, are a nurse. You worked at uh, an assisted living community and you took care of a lot of people. And that could have been 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. But you're bringing it to them in today's format mm-hmm. rather than challenging them of do they remember. Mm-hmm. And that's the key. And often they'll spark to that and come along with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, on the next one on you can't, I, I remember a lot of times uh, asking somebody to come with me to do something. They go, I don't know how to do that. And I said, I really can use your help. Will you help me? And we had a folding basket that you'd fold mm-hmm. uh, laundry over and over again. But I would say, I really need your help, and I, I don't know how to do these buttons. Can you show me? This and would be never say you can't. Instead, say, do what you can. Yeah. And yeah. I would always say, I need your help. Can you come and help me do this? And and they and were always so gracious about it when you put yeah. it, you know. And, Pete, to your point, you're also giving them something I really focus on, which is an opportunity for success. Mm-hmm. And we all need that. You mm-hmm. know, we, we got up this morning, we dressed ourselves, you know, um, we, we brushed our teeth. That gives us confidence. Yes. Anytime I... we, we get someone to do something that they can do, mm-hmm. we're building self-esteem and confidence. And listen to what they're trying to do. In one of my memory care units, I had a, 
a man that was a very, you know, a big businessman in the community. And he was trying to get into the back kitchen that we always kept locked. And so finally I said, come on, we'll go back there. Let's go back. And he filled the sink up and did the dishes. And so that was part of our routine is he would come and help do dishes. We And it wasn't even dishes that were dirty. We just put dishes in there. And Perfect. he must have at one point done that at home or helped out. or But he loved it. He loved it. Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder if we can get him to my house. <laughs> <laughs> and now, number eight, never command or demand. Instead, ask or model. Another common mistake, usually not intentional, but we are so used to um, task orientation and care that we are often saying, put your hand here, do this, do that. Um, and there, there is a certain um, way of doing things. We should approach care with that smile, with that friendly demeanor. Um, and modeling or mimicking, actually, is one of the last things that we lose when we have dementias. And um, that's why games like Simon Says can be so successful for someone who's actually not even speaking anymore. And that's what this is all about. And it's, it's much better to approach that way. We just respond better, even, you know, in our world pre-dementia. And I love make-believe in the dementia world. I, I had three ladies that would always, every day about 7.30, they would come to the counter and say, we want to go home. We want to leave now. And so we'd play this, and I'd say, well, why don't we call a bus? Where do we want to go? I'm gonna, we're going to talk about it. We had it all planned out. We'd go to Vegas or whatever, and I'd say, okay, now I need you to go to your room and pack your bags. And they'd go, can we do it tomorrow? We're really tired now. <laughs> but we plan a different trip. Yeah, every day. Planning every a, a virtual trip like that, yeah. getting them off the focus of that home they remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good diversion. That's an important one if we can just do a little sidebar. Uh, and Peaches has talked about this. Uh, when and someone in a memory unit said, uh, I want to go home, they're not thinking the home they came from immediately into the memory unit. Very often right. it's their childhood home. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Most often it is, yes. Yeah. Number nine, never condescend. Instead, encourage and praise. Yeah, and if we may always be aware when we're actually being condescending. Um, uh, again, we, we communicate verbally, and yet um, the words themselves is only about the 7% of the communication we receive. It's voice inflection, tone, facial uh, our affect, our body language, and hands. Mm-hmm. And if someone is wiping um, someone's face uh, because they were a little messy while they were eating or someone's cleaning up behind someone, how we present ourselves as we're doing that may not always be encouraging or praising. Mm. Um, we have to be very aware of our body language and how we are um, presenting ourselves to the people we care for mm-hmm. and encourage them and praise them for what they are doing for themselves. Mm-hmm. So instead of saying, you are so sloppy, can't you figure out how to eat without getting it all over your face? I'd be yeah. thrilled they're eating. <laughs> I'd be exactly. thrilled they're eating. And, yeah, you're and, a good eater. And here's the big one. And here's the big one where a lot of people start going, uh-oh, I don't know if I can do this. Um, we will enter a stage where if we're allowed to, we will still dress ourselves mm-hmm. and do as much as we can for ourselves for as long as possible, but we may not do it perfectly. We may put on a red sock and a blue sock. We may button a shirt, a little cross-buttoned. And we may be perfectly happy with that, and oh, we did yeah. it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And there's where we praise and encourage versus, uh, quote-unquote, get fixed all the time. Yeah. And just coming behind someone and fixing them and unbuttoning and rebuttoning a shirt or changing out unmatched socks 
is condescending. Oh, and they and tell so, they let you know that. I had a man that um, would shop in another, you know, residence uh, dressers and closets, and I remember calling his daughter and saying, "We we have got to get him this sweater. He just loves it." And she said, "Okay, I'll go get it." I said, "It's at Target. It's in the ladies' department, and it's a petite." <laughs> <laughs> but it was real tactile, yeah. and she was such a great person. She went and bought it. And he loved it. So who cares? It was yeah. fuzzy and red. He was happy. You know, Marianne yeah. Drummond and, and Peaches is interesting as I listen to all this. Uh, we have little kids in, in my house. Uh, we've got twin boys who are five and a little girl who's six. Uh, and the same kind of behaviors uh, I see in my kids we're talking about here. For example, uh, the twins are Kennedy and Carter. The other day Carter said, Danny, I'm, I'm going to wear two different shoes to camp today. <laughs> so he put on... <laughs> Two different Crocs. And I said, hey, that's cool. Yeah. And he was happy as could be. But we won't do that with our parents. We won't allow well, that. That's the idea. Yeah, sad. My rule, I have three questions I ask. Are they hurting themselves? Are they hurting anyone else? And is this normal behavior for mm-hmm. them in that, you know, we want to make sure that they're not demonstrating something new that might indicate that they're sick or ill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... If the two shoes have the same soles and they're not going to hurt themselves by walking, by mm-hmm. all means, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, so if they're not hurting themselves and not hurting anyone else, and this is normal for where they are in you know their day-to-day process, then I let it be because mm-hmm. they're happy with their presentation. Absolutely. Now, when they're dressing themselves in such a way or they're not maintaining their hygiene, now it's time for that caregiver to totally step in and mm-hmm. assist and do what needs to be done. Agree. Never force, instead reinforce is the last one on this list. And, and what do you mean by that? Well, let's say um, I absolutely say, no, I do not want my bath right now. No. Some well-meaning caregivers say, you know what, you mm. haven't had a bath in four days, and I'm the daughter here, and you're going to have your bath. Now we are pulling, tugging, and mm-hmm. scrapping in the shower. That's not good for anybody. Mm. We're going to end up with bruises, maybe a skin tear, maybe worse. And we can't do that. It's not okay. No. And the Um, other thing is some of the caregivers take that as a, okay, well, then no, I won't do it. And so they don't get a shower because they don't work with them. Right. So we're going to say, okay, um, no bath right now, but let's come back 15 minutes later, 20 minutes later, and let's try a new approach. Let's continue to reinforce and encourage. There are going to be times we're going to refuse care. And 30 minutes later, we may change our mind. That's part of caring for someone who has a dementia. Mm Mm-hmm. As you think about, uh, and we've got about two minutes left, uh, dealing with uh, a patient with using Alzheimer's as the uh, overall term for people with dementia, although dementias are very different, uh, what what are the biggest tips that you share uh, with caregivers who may be new to that? They suddenly, well, like in your case, you suddenly are your mom's caregiver. You weren't uh, four days before she obviously began presenting with memory loss. What's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself? Well, you know, I think the couple of things is that when it is your own family member, you are going to find yourself, even once you're educated, the first thing, the first thing I'll say to caregivers is become educated. Um, learn about um, what it means to be not just a caregiver, but a dementia caregiver. And um, that's going to take a lot of uh, however you best educate yourself, going through the um, ALZ.org website, reading good books, putting a lot of tools in your toolbox. But once you become educated, know that as you learn the different care concepts and techniques, you're going to be tempted to go back into your 
pre-caregiver roles. And um, we always are prone to sometimes not seeing that it is the illness that causes someone to maybe lash out at us, to um, be irritable, or to even sometimes just not be nice in that care process. And when you're doing all you can do to care for someone, and that person is telling you what a rotten person you are, (laughs) you have to accept that as a symptom of the disease. And that will be the last note. We appreciate very much, Marianne Drummond, you coming on. AngelTreePublishing.com is a website. You can find all kinds of fabulous tools and information uh, available to you. Thanks so much for joining us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Thank you. And I hope we talk again soon. Peaches, that was cool. That was awesome. Enjoyed it. Up next... Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman on Caregiver SOS on air exclusively on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Welcome to Take 10. We bring you Take 10 at the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air shows when Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist and expert not only in caregiving but addiction as well, joins us. And Peaches Hall is here pinch hitting. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Dr. Jamie, when we talk about caregiving and caregivers, uh, we know that uh, in some instances caregivers become really very angry. Uh, Abuse of care recipients, for example, is often caused by the ones who are closest to them, including the caregivers. So if you become that angry, shouting, yelling, pinching person, uh, that can't be normal, but it does happen. Why? Well, there's a couple of good reasons for it, Ron. Anger is like a continuum, if you will. On on one side of the continuum, there's rage and external anger and what you're kind of talking about probably is this this sort of bluster that, that we can't get a hold of it, it, it's it's really driven by resentment if you will and expectations the expectations as we often say in caregiving are always the seeds of resentment so we go into it with expectations and usually those expectations are never met therefore we start getting angry and we start lashing out at our environment But the other piece of anger, which I think has to be addressed here, is that anger turned inward in a caregiver's life. And that journey, if it's turned inward, leads to depression, which is very pandemic among caregivers as well. So anger is is a theme that has to be reckoned with with caregivers. It's a great topic. 
One of the things I used to talk to some of our staff about was, of course, that the families, they're experiencing loss. They're losing their husbands or their fathers or their, you know, it's it's horrible for them. So that's that pressure on top of it. But also at times, especially for staff, I always say sometimes their bad habits were developing. Once you start using potty words, it's easier to use potty words. Once you start losing your temper, you have to kind of inspect what you're doing and say, am I handling this the right way? And we always ask them to to take apart what they're doing look at it deeper i totally agree with you and so anger management for a a caregiver it's a process it Mm -hmm. truly is but we have to identify which i think is the most critical issue the stressors we enter caregiving and we often kind of adapt if you will to caregiving in an emotional way which is i know this is psychobabble but it's a lot of our unresolved issues we may have had with our loved ones in childhood and we had never really dealt with them, and all of a sudden we get hit between the eyes with this concept called caregiving for them, and then these stressors start popping up, and the stressors, which obviously don't help us stay calm, create this anger and this sort of misunderstanding and an incite rage. And so it's critical for a caregiver to understand that anger management is vital. What would be some of the common stressors or uh, the things that folks have not dealt with uh, when they were younger that suddenly come to the front? Well, I'm sure Peach is going to address this as well. The first thing I always see is we kind of recreate our drama and trauma. So if Mama wasn't that, you know, happy with us as a child, or we were, let's say, the middle child and our loved one got more attention, or the younger was the more uh, cajoled and, and hugged, uh, those resentments would come out later especially if you're the primary caregiver, which means you're the one actually taking logistical care of your loved one. And then you're not only dealing with the stressors of your loved one, which could be your mom, dad, brother, sister, whomever, but you're also dealing with the clinical stressors of long-distance caregivers who are actually, you know, also invested in this process and could be torturing you from afar. Yes, and most of them are, how did I get this? Just because geographically I'm closer? How did I? How did this happen? So sometimes you become a caregiver you had no idea you were going to. Not until mama's oh, in the so ICU. Right. Mm-hmm. So you fall but, into and caregiving. It's like you, you, you do, and, you, and it's like Vegas, and, you, and the dice fell the wrong way because all of a sudden, like he just says, you become the primary caregiver, which... You know, every one of that family had the possibility of it, but the one that's probably the closest, the one that's probably the one who is selfless, the one that is, you know, ready to take on the martyr piece, if you will, will probably become the primary caregiver and take it from all angles. And also there are times that you become a caregiver and don't even know it. You're in a house, somebody hurts themselves. Somebody gets a new diagnosis. Somebody has to have some kind of extra help. And then all of a sudden, the wife or the husband has become a caregiver. They don't even know it. I mean, that's happened to me where my husband had gone through some bad health, and I'm like, why am I so cranky? Crap, I'm a caregiver. So, you know, you don't even know it. Well, I'm sure Iran's wife knew it from the very beginning over the last several weeks. We've, we've well, dealt with that. Not, not his anger, but hers. No, as, as my wife would explain, she is a non-enabling caregiver. I think she's a saint. Who, uh, who has to deal not only with me, but three little kids. Mm. So it's a heck of a challenge. Mm-hmm. And I'm lucky so to still be perfect. alive. Yeah, and I think your, your, your wife understood one thing, too, that I hope. I mean, that it's really impossible to have these 
these unreasonable expectations, and that we have to forgive ourselves immediately as a caregiver, knowing that we're not perfect. I mean, we can experience this episodic impatience or anger, but we also have to realize that this is totally a natural response, and that we have to give ourselves credit for the thousands of times that maybe we exhibited patience. This is why I think it's critical when you're dealing with these explosive emotions, which impact not just your loved one, but the family, that a caregiver should seek out therapy immediately when they self-identify themselves as a caregiver. Or help. Yeah, or help, for sure. But they need a safe place Mm. where they can talk about the tantrums. They need a safe place where they can talk about this lack of ability to self-regulate. They need a safe place where they can find out answers uh, or have their ego and or themselves reflected back to them so they have some real insight in the process. That's a really good point. By the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. Take 10 follows each and every one of our Caregiver SOS On Air programs. Dr. Jamie Heisman is with us. He is a nationally known psychotherapist, expert not only in caregiving, but addictions as well. And Carol Zerniel on special assignment today. Peaches Hall is filling in. So, Dr. Jamie, uh, when you mention therapy, uh, for folks who don't have a therapist on their speed dial, how do you find one? Well, you can call your plan. That's always the best way to do it, I gather, to, to really get the names. But I do write for Psychology Today, and I do think the highlight of their website is the ability to find a therapist who has the criteria, if you will, that you're looking for. All you need to do is go to Psychology Today, put your zip code in, and all of a sudden pop up this wonderful array of therapists. And you can actually screen them based upon their work with seniors or caregiving um, and really call them and interview them until you feel very, very comfortable with them. So I would suggest that uh, for sure. And then also the reimbursement or the commercial or uh, plans that they take are listed there as well. So it's psychologytoday.com? You bet. And it'll say find a therapist as soon as you get to that front page, and that's where I would click off and put your zip code in. Back to anger for just a moment. When folks are out of control, when caregivers uh, reach a point where, uh, you know, I can't take this anymore. i got to get out of here. Uh, Respite is not a bad idea. But many folks who are... Yeah, but many folks who are caregiving don't have anyone else to step in. So true. Uh, Peaches, I think, especially with Caregiver SOS and the wonderful uh, uh, products that the foundation has, like uh, teleconnection and and the ability to be connected there, um, can offer some answers. And respite is vital. And that creating a family of choice Mm -hmm. as as opposed to relying on your family of origin is a great way to do that. And there are assisted livings and memory cares that will offer a, a one-night or maybe a three-night um, respite, and it's wonderful. That is the best spent money, just to give yourself a time to clean your house and to shop and to just to have some time to yourself, and then you pick your loved one up and you start back again. And is there a way, Dr. Jamie, uh, to bring your extended family or family of choice uh, into helping? Yes, and first realize on the stressor side, we have an old saying in the addiction world that if you're Let's halt, H-A-L-T. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you're probably going to be a trigger for, for anger, uh, definitely. But again, to your point, remember this after you've identified the stressors, I would always get a third party in to deal with the family uh, of, of origin. 
But your family of choice is literally the people around you that you can rely on most, your faith-based community, if you will, the support groups that you visit. Make sure you get out. And if you're a caregiver, don't isolate. There's nothing more to conjure up anger than to be isolated as a caregiver. Boom, last word. Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air with Dr. Jamie Heisman, Peaches Hall, and Ron Aaron. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer.